0: Welcome to the Evolution Exchange Nordics podcast. Today I am live at the ACAST office, which is very exciting. At Evolution, we are committed to helping people across the Nordics realise their potential. Our goal is to develop deep relationships with individuals, building trust and making business easier. So today we are here to talk about how ACAST empowers their teams. And what we will do is we'll start off with an introduction into who ACAST are. Over to you, Millie.
1: Thank you. Um, So Acast is the home of podcasting. So if you are an avid listener of podcasts, you might have heard us before. Um, And what that really means is that we're a podcast and advertiser marketplace. So we build products and solutions that help podcasters get their stories out into the world through our hosting and distribution of our podcasts. And we also help advertisers reach their valuable audiences through um, accessing the audience of those podcasters. So that's in a way why we're a podcast marketplace that focuses on advertisers and our creators. And that's all in um, the aim of really fulfilling the mission that we all hold really dear, which is that we wanna live in a world connected through storytelling. And we're on a podcast today, so it's very (laughs) meta.
0: (laughs) Amazing, lovely. I'm gonna stay with you if that's okay for you to give us a bit more of an introduction into who you are and what you do at ACAS. Sure. So um, I am director of product for
1: our advertiser um, teams, which means that um, I oversee the teams that work on building advertiser solutions that make it as easy and as effective to buy on podcast advertising as possible and sort of um, allowing brands, small businesses, large businesses to get their message heard um, and find their valuable audiences. And I have been doing that for a little bit over a year now, Um, but I've actually been with ACAST for a year and eight months, still counting in months, (laughs) which is when you know you're still kind of a newbie at a company. Um, And before I was director of product for advertising, I was a senior products manager here myself. Um, And when I came into the company, the first task was to um, get as many creators exposed to ACAST so that they could benefit from our podcaster solutions. And before I joined the world of ACAST, I was a very avid podcast listener myself, um, but I was working in product in a health tech company, um, Ada Health, and before that, I was a strategy consultant. That's me in a nutshell, and I will hand over to Cecilia.
2: Thank you. So uh, I'm Cecilia Bori, and I work very closely with Millie. I'm the uh, VP engineering here at ACAST responsible for ads, uh, among other things, and uh, trying to create this efficient organization to fulfill the strategy that uh, Millie and the others in the product organization drives out for us. Um, and before I joined ACAST, I've been, I'm have been i a computer science nerd by heart and uh, training as well. I, um, I've got a Master of Science degree uh, in computer science. So, uh, kind of computer, everything computers uh, was my childhood, and then growing up, also coming into the scout movement, I learned to work in communities and uh, the power of small teams. So I'm trying to bring that into um, into the industry and uh, how our society can be helped and empowered by tech, and how people talk. and um, and I really make people talk to each other. So I'm very driven by agile principles and trying to get that into organizations to make us efficient. And I've been working at many different organizations, like big corporations, like Oracle and Spotify. Uh, I've been working at scale-ups, like Kry and Epidemic Sound, and also smaller startups. And I see how organizations want to thrive that's what I do. Miles, you and I are working together. Who are you?
3: Yes, we are. (laughs) are. Hello, I am Miles. I am an engineering manager here at ACAST. I have been here for four years, so quite a while. And I started as a developer originally, and then two years ago, transitioned to engineering manager. And I'm working with the team who is building our self-service product, so self-serve ad buying. And that's ACAST's way of scaling ad buying using technology, using a product.
1: I suppose it would be the equivalent of sort of um, buying Facebook ads it's if you were uh, an advertiser a small business owner and you were trying to get your message out. And um, say you were trying to advertise on social media, you would go into Facebook and you can configure on their Facebook ad buying platform. And we're building the equivalent for podcasting at ACAST. And by we, I mean Miles.
3: <laughs>
2: true, true.
1: <laughs>
3: but but yeah, I mean, engineering manager here at ACAST, it's, it's a... Both a both a team a team lead role, uh, people manager, but also mm-hmm. st- working with product, working with strategy, also but, and also working with Cecilia, VP, to try to guide and help and grow the the culture, the engineering culture, making sure that people have opportunities and ways to stand out.
0: Incredible. Lovely. Well, I think from those introductions and from the introduction to ACAST alone, you can see why we want to find out more about how you guys empower your teams and how you've been so successful. Hi, everyone. This is Chris Bennett here, the Nordics Managing Director here at Evolution. Thank you so much for listening, and I really hope to hear from you soon. Please enjoy the rest of the podcast. So before this podcast, I've created a few questions, which I know myself and our listeners would love to hear more about ACAST and how you guys do these things so successfully. So I guess if it's okay with you, we'll jump right into that. Um, so empowering teams is a crucial aspect of success within the tech industry. Could you share with me some specific strategies or practices that ACAST employs in its engineering and product teams? Cecilia, I'm going to come over to you first.
2: Yeah. So I think in order to scale up and create an innovative, resilient organization, it's important that all the teams feel accountability and uh, a motivation to deliver on uh, business um, business need, need to feel kind of that it's meaningful, need to see how the impact on the team is actually creating value for customers. Uh, so when I came here to ACAST, I was happy to see that uh, it was so formed by small, independent, autonomous teams with a clear business purpose. Uh, and uh, I don't think that everyone realize how important it is and to to have the cross functional and kind of to have everyone self-sufficient within the teams. Because this all the the lead time from idea to delivery is so short. And you don't have to involve anyone else. And there's a product manager, there's an engineering manager. We have everything from planning to delivery to handling incidents. Uh, to fixing bugs and customer support errands. Everything is it within one small team. And this makes the teams not being stuck in meetings with other teams because they already know kind of what they need to deliver and they can do it really quickly. So I think this is a great design of uh, um, creating empowered teams. But I don't know, Miles, what's it like to kind of work in one of these teams? Does it really hold the description I made.
3: Uh, I mean, absolutely, and I do think it's good to start with autonomy and safety as a few of these things that are crucial before you can have any other greater processes that contribute to empowerment. Because without without autonomy, without safety, you're either going to be I don't know too top down, too scattered, not focusing on goals, not being able to even discuss as a team what are our goals. Just sort of cards coming in and completing things, but mm-hmm. are you completing the right things? So the people who are doing the implementation actually know what needs to be done do they have the right information or is it being gatekept over so i think yeah having teams that are fully autonomous autonomous to pivot choose their own mm. their own processes i mean we do devops in how like it within each team here so i guess you could say it's we're, we're choosing to spend time on something that we could have another team doing but in that case we we all have these skills together and we can move a lot quicker and not have massive blockers i think you mentioned on call as well i mean when I started, we didn't have on-call, and we, we moved to it, and what I really noticed with on-call is this, and especially like an on-call rotation, so everyone everyone is on-call, and I mean, yeah, it sounds pretty, like, yeah, it sounds kind of, kind of lame, like, okay, you have to be on-call, you have to stay up and wake up at night and stuff, but if we're all responsible for it, we're all making sure incidents are minimum, wake-ups are minimum, but also... We're all, we're all responsible for understanding every part of the product. Mm. And I, I do think that sharing responsibility works really well for many things, like who's driving the stand-ups. I think that's a, a such a simple change basically any team could do that all of a sudden empowers everyone on the team to know what are we doing in these stand-ups, what's the point of these stand-ups. Are we, are we on focus rather than just one person leading all the time? Mm.
1: And just to add to what Cecilia and Miles were saying, I think one of the things I've really learned from you, Cecilia, actually, is how important it is for everyone in the team, including every single engineer, to understand and connect to the business narrative. Because I think a lot of the times, if you're at a product director level, your main interactions are with product managers and engineering managers, probably as the secondary counterpart and maybe some designers, but less on the individual engineers in the team. And I think that the culture we now have at ACAS is where sort of even engineers within the team deeply understand what we're trying to achieve and therefore have the flexibility, the mandate and the remit within their own teams to explore the best ways to do that. And I think an example of of where that can be gatekept, as if only the engineering manager and the product manager understand the strategy and that actually the engineers and the team are kind of on fulfilment mode rather than really engaging with the product strategy. So I think a lot of the activities that we've done in the last year, what I've found to be super impactful have been sort of engaging at, you know, every engineer. So everyone, every engineer understands the business rationale.
3: Um, and also feeding back into the strategy. If, if the yeah. strategy doesn't make sense for an engineer, it's not probably not the right strategy. It's probably why it's if the strategy is decoupled from the actual implementation, you want to try to bring that together.
1: Yeah. And I think it works inversely as well, of like increasing business people in inverted comments which isn't going to show on this podcast understanding of tech debt as well so it is as much as it's important for every engineer to connect to the business strategy and the overall mission we need a lot of our non-technically minded people in the business to also have a base level understanding of what tech debt is and and what that costs us as a business so it's not that everyone should have the exact same role at a class but everyone should have a base level understanding of these core concepts that makes teams more autonomous if we do.
0: Yeah, well, I think it was really interesting. I think everything you all just said was really interesting. But I really liked, I think, um, as myself and my recruiter part of the role, the on-call sometimes when you're speaking to a candidate, they're like, oh don't know about that but the way you describe that then of you know everyone's responsible for this thing you can see how it can empower you of like you created that like you own part of that system and I think that's really really interesting especially going into what you then said Millie about that I think that's really interesting and kind of you can see how that culture can feed through from the start of a process to the end of the release to what the customer sees like you you help do that.
2: So I've uh, compared this to uh, startup uh, startup teams because and kit- called it kitchen table teams because when you st- when you do a startup you're four friends uh, with a, a mutual idea and you want to see it through and you end up at someone's kitchen table and there are cords and computers everywhere and you take turns in doing coffee and brewing coffee and feeding the uh, printer paper and everything and if there's an incident everyone knows and then when you grow into a company you so quickly can lose that and then suddenly you're there and you're 50 people and you're starting hearing things in the corridor like that's not my job that's someone else's job Uh, but you want to keep this kitchen table team the accountability and also the pride of actually seeing things through because all of these uh, if the team owns everything including the on-call then it tastes so good when you have that mm. celebration cake. You kind of you feel that you've done it together, you feel that you kind of mission and you gamify the success metrics. You kind of feel every kind of uh, every percentage they win, every customer you win and you do it together. And I think that's what we've managed to create here at ACAST to to kind of really create those kitchen table teams. Mm. I
1: think that's so important what
2: you just said around if unless you have that full
1: autonomy and the product lifecycle owned in the team or deeply understood by the team, then it's harder to celebrate the successes and know when to pivot if it's not going well. If you're really... So things that might seem quite boring in terms of like product metrics or things like this or, you know, instantiating all of your product analytics those are the sorts of things that lead to the most satisfying wins that keep team momentum so i think it's yeah i think if you're if you're not really wholly owning your success metrics as a team or you think that you can't influence something and you're really far away from the business impact i think that that is also one of the, the, the things i've seen teams get most motivated and then inversely motivated by when they come closer to the the end product
0: definitely definitely and i think just to kind of follow on from that obviously with the wins come the challenges and the different things that you have to face as an organization could you share maybe more of a success story, for instance, where you have a team and strategy that's led to a noticeable achievement?
3: Sure, yeah. I mean, I, I can go. So, yeah. so, so my team, yeah, t- team Mads. We build self-serve, and and, and I, I've yeah, I've been here for two years, and definitely as the the business narrative has got more and more refined, f- the metrics we track become more real like their start off as maybe surveys how 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 do our users feel but then actually start tracking much more granular metrics that the team is seeing week in week out uh it like the both the success and just the clarity and the focus i mean obviously there's a lot more factors to how how you focus on something but they they become so much more win. So so with with self serve, I mean we yeah. I mean everyone. So yeah, I'll zoom zoom back out. I mean right now, the past at least two years, the macroeconomic situation, especially in Stockholm, is more more companies running towards um, profitability uh, within one year, within two years. And that, that obviously puts a lot of pressure. Uh, and, but, but that, with that pressure comes a, a greater understanding, like we, okay, we have to set goals, monetary goals by, by the end of this quarter, by the end of this year. And, and, and those really help, um, they help the team understand like, what, what are we working towards? Are we actually working on the right thing now? And, and with self-serve for instance, like we it's, it's, uh, yeah, we, we've got it. We've got, Twelve teams at ACOS, and 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 some of them some of them focusing on short term, short term profit, but self serve is more focused on long term. It's it's scaling our business models. So that that I mean, and, and this these last two years we've had great success releasing lots of features this year.
0: Amazing. How do you navigate that as a manager on this is the situation the company are focusing on and this is what we want to build? How do you Empower that that story to get through to the engineers.
3: Yeah, I mean, I, I think telling it in plain words as as well as you can. I mean, there's lots of strategy. I've been visualizing it, but seeing it every day. So, for instance, we ha- when we have sprint planning meetings on well, now we have them on on Fridays or Thursdays for the following week. But at the top of the what are our sprint goals is is the goals like is is the objectives first, and then we can get to sprint goals. So this is our team's objectives, and then. That's visual. When we're writing our goals, the objectives are visual. We can all see them. We know. Does this task we've set does that even relate to our objectives? And then someone can call it out really easy. But it is, yeah. It's about taking private conversations between product managers and 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 bringing them in. And I think that's when when I when I joined this team, that was definitely one thing. It's like okay, yeah, you know, Nicholas, my my product manager, he. he I don't think he had that experience before, and it was like, okay, well, let's let's just bring it in. Let's bring it everyone involved because it doesn't it doesn't make like it doesn't benefit that you know and they don't. There's only benefits to letting everybody know what's going on.
0: Mm, definitely, I think that's really interesting. I really like that idea that you have. You know, the the vision at the top of the page, and then the the ideas further down. I think. It's quite often a lot of... I know my team have fallen short of this in the past of you spend hours creating this vision of who you want to be and then you forget about it after two weeks because it's not there. So keeping it present, I think that's a yeah. really nice way to keep everyone empowered.
3: Yeah, you really have to fight against like hu- human tendencies and, 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 and as humans, when we're working on important things week out, week out, week in, week out and everything is important. Everything is just as important as the next thing. Well, there should be something that's most important And we should be reminded what that is because it's easy to forget because it's just... It's work. Work becomes work.
0: <laughs> Definitely. And like I think with innovative people, like, like I guess the people who work here, it's so easy to be like, I've got this great idea. Let's do this. And then you have to realign to whether this is going to fit the strategy that you guys are working yeah. towards. And,
3: and it helps much more if it's not the product manager. And there's an us versus them dynamic where it's the product manager telling you, nah, nah, no, let's <clears throat> just do the things we're paid to do. It's, it's easier if more people on the team can side with the product manager because mm. we all understand.
2: And I'm really grateful for the product directors that we have, kind of finding the direction of kind of how will we get there? What is the market opportunity? Kind of what are the things and, and balancing across uh, new innovation, where we're already at, enhancing and so on, and kind of showing that, uh, the showing the bigger picture and where we could go. And then having the teams as kind of strong business units almost uh, fully aligned with that. But I think... Someone to have the overall picture and then having, it's like, and not fully directing everyone, but showing Mm. a very, it makes sense. And then it's like, why wouldn't you do this?
1: Yeah, I think it's, I think you can only receive the signals of product success from within the team because they are building and launching it in market and evaluating its success. So it's like for me, for instance, with the example Miles gave around self-serve, it needs to achieve two core strategic pillars for us to invest in it continually, in that you know, the idea is it will attract a different customer segment to cast than the one that we get through our managed sales relationships, um, but also provide a lot of efficiencies because if we can handle our clients in a productized way that suits their needs, then it's a lot more efficient than having a lot of humans do a lot of administrative tasks that don't necessarily benefit the buyer. But as if the team is, too, is clear on these two goals of, you know, it's around um, new buyer acquisition and it's around efficiency, then they're the only ones that can actually feed back up into the business as to whether it's delivering on those things. Mm-hmm. So I think it's all around like, the team is totally empowered and is totally necessary if they're clear on the goals to then actually inform the strategy laddering back up. So, yeah, I, I don't know how it must work in, in businesses where they don't trust their teams and they're not empowered how there's any sort of, like, effective laddering back up that informs smart strategic changes in strategy at a leadership level. Not, must be must be guesswork in other organisations.
3: Yeah, not, not well. And, I mean, it is that. It's, it's just... Mm. Some people are lucky, and they're building a, a, the thing they think is right in the right in the right place, and they get lucky doing that strategy. But I think overall, mm. reacting and pivoting is a much Better strategy. You don't really, yeah, you don't really know what your users want.
1: And I think that there's this uh, to the point you made earlier around like in the last couple of years we've operated in a different macro environment. A lot of product organizations have where it's not been this hyper growth for growth's sake and spinning up new teams all the time. And a lot of people phrase that in kind of a oh, you know, the glory days are over. But I actually think that doing product in an environment where you have to say this is the investment period we're giving this product and we're going to look for these signals and this is what it has to do for us to continue to invest. It's a way more exciting way of doing product, I think, because it's more real. It's creating actual business value rather than, you know, we're just creating basically a load of product debt and collateral Mm -hmm. that might not be as valuable in the real world and in the market as possible. So I actually think, and I think it develops us us as individuals far more Mm -hmm. strongly to be this robust
0: do you find with your team millie that you have more buy-in from um the members of your team now compared to when we were in that hyper growth i know it might not be a cast or maybe when you first joined a cast
1: i think we'd have to ask more. Oh. i'm gonna grade my own homework to try right there. <laughs> do you think there's more buy-in from the teams now that we have clearer metrics and tracking against everything
3: i mean absolutely and uh, i mean it's too two-sided. Like there is people who didn't don't like that and don't like that way of working. They're they set in. This is how I work as a developer as a product manager. I work like this, and then you start changing things like this. And oh, now you need to know about this and think about these metrics. Mm. I don't really want to do that. They will leave, mm. and you will try, and then you will inter- you recruit more people. They will understand what it looks like now the company, and it will become that way. Absolutely. And, but yeah, I mean talking to people, talk especially. Product managers who are on your team, I mean, the, the changes in the past three years have just been drastic for them. Like their job is mm-hmm. so much, more. it makes so much more sense. It's, yeah, it's so much more clear.
0: You that, was, that was a great answer, really. <laughs> 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 um, no, amazing. Um, and I guess um. to follow, follow on from that, obviously, you know, ACALS are doing this really well and it's very clear from that example. What would you say is the next step for you to, you know, be even more successful at this. I'm going to come over to you, Cecilia. Pressure's on you.
2: So uh, we're in the middle of a leadership workshops right now, and it's all about improvements and kind of how how we're going to track. And I think the next step for our organization is to come even closer to the markets and the business and for the engineers, because now every all in Everyone in the product development organization now understands the bigger business narrative. And the next step is to step out to understand the different needs in the markets and to take that step. Uh, and for us to be better at uh, keeping a relationship with the stakeholders in the uh, in the markets. And that, that's also, as you said, but I, now that you know, now that you have the narrative, now there's also a pull for more information. You want to learn, you want to can understand the pain and want to see where to help and, and doing an impact and everyone knows how to balance kind of what where we are kind of how we test new ideas and how we can help but um i think that is the that is the next step to understand
1: yeah i'd, I'd agree with cecilia there. i'd say in the last year uh, and I, I think this is an interesting problem. That I suppose a lot of product orgs have is that we're a lot of the time craft specialists, not domain ex- experts. And I think in um, you know within Acast, you have the podcasting landscape, but you also have the advertising landscape, and then you have both of those landscapes look quite variable in different geographic locations. And so there's a lot of domain expertise for it us to get our heads around in product and that does require like very close relationships with our partners in commercial and in our um, creator network side of the business that deal with the podcasters so it's around you know how do we as much as we can learn from our customers directly through Sort of data signals within the product, but how do we facilitate those close working relationships, such that we can understand as much user feedback from real-world users? If we are not, if we are disintermediated in our product flow from them by things like a sales organization. Yep.
3: No, I mean I, I agree with you about the podcaster focus as well, because we've been working towards um, yeah, profit profitability. But uh, we just released our Q3 results today, and I mean we're on a great trajectory. We're very, very close to being profitable, and that allows for now. Longer term, more like not not necessarily straightforward revenue projects, teams to switch their focus to, and especially I feel like the podcaster side of the business. We have both podcasting podcaster and advertiser. I think that more focus on the podcaster allows us to innovate more. There become a more um, what do you say um, appetizing. Podcast host and podcast provider for for more podcasts, getting more inventory in, involved, and then we, yeah, we grow our inventory, we grow our, our, our ad buyers together.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I guess we're a marketplace, and we're always trying to balance our supply and our demands and keep everyone happy. <laughs> yeah, but I
2: think you know the the work that the pivot we did a couple of years ago that the whole that all the product uh, organizations did, as you alluded to Millie before, um, we have. We've done that pivot in kind of a really short amount of time and kind of found the profitability. We were so designed to set up for growth and kind of just going for profitability. I think that says a lot about the trust within the organization that the resilience uh, there is because it was a huge pivot uh, in, so many, in so many ways. And I think continuing kind of accountability and including everyone, I think that that is one of the keys to make this organization resilient to change, and also including because uh, I think so many organizations uh, like ACAST were forced to do a reduction in force, and I think we we all speak talk about that, and that's not a democratic um, process in doing that. There, kind of you you can't vote people out or kind of have discussions about it. So that's a really Horrible um, experience for for anyone in the organization. But then, when it comes to change, and then making sure that the rest of us kind of we are good at change and kind of the change needed, and everyone to understand the business narrative around what change needs to be done. I think we've we've exercised that over this past year and gotten used to change. And we've said that kind of we are taking responsibility and making sure that we create a, a efficient organization. And I think that is that is one of the strengths that will take us forward. And kind of now, we, now we're now we on the path to profitability and now we can set up our kind of aim at mm. full innovation. Mason,
0: I think that brings on to my next question. I'd like to ask off. Stay with you, Cecilia, if that's okay. So, obviously, Acast are a global company. I know, Millie, you're from the UK, similar to myself, and then you two are in the Swedish office. Um, so, how, what do you guys do to ensure that teams across different regions are empowered and aligned on the company vision and values?
2: Yeah, uh, so I, I'm a VP engineering, and uh, Millie is kind of all about the business. But we're trying to create these teams where we have the specialities of the main driver for kind of product being the business context, but everyone owning it. So, me and Maria Kushner, who's our brilliant engineering director, we went on a business narrative tour. To interpret and to tell the business narrative in our own words to the product development teams, and trying to really and just trying to get it into everyone that everyone's responsible to hear this and understand this, and we did it 14 times as to make sure that everyone would have the ability to ask those questions, like what is Evita, what is, are the different KPIs, and kind of what are we here for. And, really kind of engage people and not do it in a, a full uh, Q&A setting with everyone in the room to to engage everyone. And in this, ACAS is created hybrid first. Uh, so we're very used to working remotely and, uh, and um, kind of doing this in a small setting and visiting all the teams in this. I think that was um, a, a good investment. Uh, to include people.
0: Amazing. Millie, anything?
1: Yeah, I mean... Um, I actually think it's one of ACAR's best strengths is how we're able to do remote first, but we still feel like there is a sort of a, a community feel because I think remote first can be a bit disorientating in a lot of companies because you can feel a little bit untethered to anything. And I think things that help us be remote first, but also create that real buy-in and community aspect is, for instance, this week, we have a off-site with all of the team leads and we try and do those, I think in the last year, we've averaged around every four to six months, um, which all we'll will have specific product meetups. We did one for Miles's team in London in July. and I think those events really remind us that it, it is necessary mm-hmm. at some points to get some face time. It is necessary for those more esoteric product discussions or customer journey mapping. But I think, yeah, so I, I think it's the good mix of recognising there is real value in in-person time. But, you know, having remote first kind of agile methodologies at our department level that are sort of you know friendly to every time zone where we have people in the US, UK and Sweden that's I think how we achieve best of both worlds here.
0: Definitely and it's so clear that you know you guys have such a good culture from today Mm -hmm. so everyone seems to be in the office there's loads of nice sweet treats everywhere and a great (laughs) environment so I've definitely picked a really good day to come into the office. Um, Amazing and then I guess from this podcast so far, it, we've definitely come come to across the point that Acast's culture is very significant in its part of empowering its teams. Could you describe the company culture in a little bit more detail and how it contributes to the team's success, Miles?
3: Yeah, sure. I mean, yeah, my, I mean, my first impression of Acast was interviewing at Acast, and I think that's where you get the taste of the culture, and, and in a sense, you're by by. Continuing interviewing and accepting the job, you're, you're buying into that culture. I mean, not to say that you're accepting everything. You, there's things that can change, and cultures do evolve. And ACOS culture has evolved over time. But I mean, that's when I started working here or oh, interviewing here. The the two developers, yeah, I interviewed with two developers, and for me that was that was crazy. Like every company I'd worked at before was smaller companies. I was I was interviewing with CEOs and founders who were telling me how good their company is. But here's a company that trusts developers to take the interview themselves and what the developers say about the candidate, the company is going to go with that. That was, I mean, that was mind blowing <laughs> at the time. And then, yeah, I think the high, the high competence, like just conscientiousness, everyone seemed like they were super engaged in what they were doing. They're here to, to do a good job. I mean, that's that's a really core uh, part of ACoS culture. I think that like we enjoy doing a good job when we succeed, but even when we fail, um, yeah, it's super massive. And like, I mean, yeah, I mentioned our ch- culture has changed. I mean, there's many things like I mean, one time a founder on a on a meeting, uh, like, a, like an all hands, he just said, like, we should be saying no more. And then that was like a thing is like, once someone said, give said something, it strips into the culture <laughs> and that idea bounces around. And then it's like, yeah, we should be saying no more. And then a, a lot of culture that I um, interact with is just repeating phrases really like you, if you repeat things enough times that I mean they're good phrases to be adopted into the culture other people will repeat them as well because they'll understand why they're good like for instance saying no or and, and yeah that autonomy works really well there as well like you you kind of need autonomy you need psychological safety you need to not be afraid to fail in order to have a culture that, that people are, are happy to okay I'm going to try to Ex- express what I think the culture should be sort of in- indirectly by saying that, um, yeah, I-, I think we should not have not have a backlog. I'm, I'm, that's what I think we should do. And then it's like, okay, why not? It's like, because if things were actually important, we would do them. And then it's like, okay, then our culture becomes, if things were actually important, we would know about them and we would do them, right? We don't need a long backlog. If, if there's stakeholders who have important ideas, they're going to be coming to us because the ideas are actually important. So that, that I mean, an idea, like, yeah, an, an example of how culture just sort of spreads through repeating fake phrases
0: Yeah, it's really that's actually really like important i think to kind of make a note of of you know it is true that you know your culture is not set in the ground it's evolving with your staff which is really nice so when the team grows and when the vision grows your cultures is growing too which mm. is really really cool and really nice to hear um focusing on on that so obviously empowering teams comes with personal and professional growth has there been any areas of professional growth opportunities or programs that acast have provided to, to help with its team members so then they can say no more
2: yeah so i'm very happy when i joined um acast i was um... Uh, drafted immediately for the mentorship uh, program to be become a mentor and uh, signed up and I was matched uh, to a candidate and now I'm on my second mentorship um, initiative and kind of just having that uh, cross organization cross the company uh, of reflecting on your yourself your personality how to develop and kind of invest in, for the company to invest in that kind of one-to-one uh, relationship I think that's that does so much to retention, to that individual, to everyone to see, because you can feel very lonely uh, being an individual contributor at a company and just for someone to see the opportunity uh, the, that exists. So I'm very happy to see that, and that has been very valuable. Uh, and then uh, we've also worked uh, to create more personal development plans that are more self-driven and from the individual and trying to not connect them directly to the performance review, but trying to help the individual to actually see where they're going on a longer stretch, even maybe after they've left ACAST so that they can see how valuable their development have been at ACAST, because this company is growing, we're innovating, we're taking on so difficult tasks, it's impossible to not grow, but it's actually possible to not see your own growth. Mm. To have implemented these personal development plans where you can keep track and have that self-drivenness from individual contributors, I think that's uh, that's also something that's imp- and not evident that all companies have. Uh, but I don't know. Miles, what's your um take on those personal development plans? you've implemented them in your team as well? I know.
3: Yeah, so yeah, we came up with this new format well Cecilia helped with mm-hmm. with a, with a new format before the summer and i've've I've run this with, so yeah, we did it in sort of three three one hour sessions spread out over three or four weeks with with time in between to think to distill our thoughts. So we're not deciding what our career plan. and also yeah, the the career plan is flexible. We're not deciding like these are the things and you're going to do this. No, this is a flexible thing that I'm following up on every month where and, and and it's focused on achievable goals like in one month tasks you can fit in sort of what's your next best steps you've you've told me that you want to do the persona of devops expert or you want to be more product oriented and, and we've talked about some tasks or maybe you've got no tasks and we can spend that time talking about okay what what is your next best step for for product development but and, and yes yeah, since it's focused on on just small tasks achievable it's really easy for someone just to do this thing and fit it into a month and think of it as well, like you've got your your work as well, that's tasks coming from the product. So you're not going to just be focusing on this the whole time. But that's achievable as things that, that fit in. And I think I've, I've done as well, uh, uh, like reflecting on outside of these plans and, and doing just like personal feedback, like you, you're you giving someone giving someone feedback. I've been I've been yeah I've been I've done a talk at ACOS on feedback. I've been thinking about feedback for a while because it's, mm. it's very important. And I think it's, maybe it comes natural to some people, but I think giving feedback is, is a proactive skill you need to learn and it can can be learned to get better at. Mm. And for me, one ex- thought experiment I've done recently, it's a bit grim maybe, but but what would I say to this person if I had to lay them off in a month's time? What mm. what feedback would I give them that they could improve their performance in a month so that they I wouldn't have to lay them off, so they wouldn't have to get laid off? That, that. I think
1: that's really clever mm.
3: yeah.
1: because it forces your hand of like if, you know, like, what is the most distilled thing that I could say to them to make a change? Yeah,
3: I grew up in a British home, so the the, tend- <laughs> the tendency to be polite is too too hard, right? Yeah, it's, mm. You don't want to... Do I look fat in this dress? Nah, like, what's the... <laughs> nah. You I had to agree. fit
1: into this dress yeah, in a month. But,
3: but, this is what I would
1: tell you. <laughs> but,
3: but you can, yeah, you can really help someone's life by giving them, giving them the push they need to, to make changes and... But,
1: to complement what Cecilia and Miles are saying around the individual development, I think something else that we've really focused on in the last quarter here. I track my life in quarters now, <laughs> notice that, is also leveraging the group and the guild. So, lever- you know, how can we develop as individuals by acting more strongly as you know, craft guilds. And I think something that we have we did a while ago as product managers is really think, okay, what does it mean to be in the product management community at ACAST and how is that distinct and how is that strong? And looking at kind of what are the forums that we have where do we want to be really competitive? And, you know, you hear all of the time on podcasts, because I always do, senior PM from Amazon, senior PM from Meta. And it's like, well, actually, no, you know, we have all of the competencies in our guild here as product managers to perform at that level. How do we utilize each other in, you know, every two weeks we do product reviews where we sort of challenge each other's strategies and we come prepared and we really understand each other's areas now. And we invite external speakers in for inspiration. Like, how can we strengthen our individual PMs skills by really acting as a as a forceful unit to be reckoned with so I also think that that's something that um that we can massively do to empower our teams here
0: I think that's really interesting I'm one of those people I'm a a podcast listener and a a self-help book reader of all of the how can I be more productive how can I have better habits
1: do you wake up at 5am (laughs) cold water showers (laughs) microdoting
0: I'm trying the five a.m. stuff. I just can't get myself out of bed. <laughs> um, I'm trying it. Um, but no, I absolutely love it. But they all say the same thing. Um, and I hope I'm not upsetting anyone by saying it, but it tends to be the same, the same thing said in a different way. And I think that really simps into what you just said, Millie, of the project managers here have the exact same ideas as other companies. It's just about how you utilise that and make it more efficient so then you can get the best out of everybody and empower them. And I think that goes into, you know, what would you say to somebody if, if you did have to sack them if they didn't improve? And it it puts your mind in a mindset, I think, as a manager where, you know, everyone's kind of been in that situation and had to have that thought. And it just kind of gets rid of all the rubbish surrounding the brain and isolates it. Puts you in a cold shower mm-hmm. um, to focus the, focus the mind. Um, so that's really, really interesting. Um, I definitely i think i'll steal quite a few of those ideas and take them back to my team um amazing lovely but to to move on um and i guess it kind of focuses back onto that so transparency communication they are key areas of how you guys impact your teams what tools are you guys using to keep your teams informed and engaged while while keeping them in the communication
1: i can um speak to one of the first that I worked with Cecilia or Miles on, so you can build on this. But a lot of what we have to do um, at Acast, with the constraints of trying to get to profitability and also growing in, in line with our long-term product strategy, is are our teams set up and configured in the right way to enable that product strategy? So do we have a fully equipped engineering team that is able to execute on X strategy? And sometimes we realize, actually, you know, we expect a huge growth in this area and there's a big opportunity here, but we have two people within one team looking at it when that team's also looking at three other things. So it means that we try and do less massive reorganizations that have happened here at the past and do more micro optimizations with team changes. And I think that to the points we've mentioned earlier, this is always gonna be a bit of a destabilizing activity for teams that have become used to operating in a certain configuration. So how do we work with EMs and PMs together with leadership on being able to accommodate for these changes that allow for more growth? And I think something that we've done really effectively in the last year, hopefully Mars is going to back me up rather than being like, no, this isn't our one. <laughs> but is, um kind of being really transparent as leadership and what are we trying to optimise for? So we want, you know, if we were to do any change, we want the change to result in X, Y, Z. There are different ways we could make this change. Are you all clear on X, Y, Z? Are there any other constraints we need to bear in mind? what are some scenarios that could achieve this, and then let's work on them together as a group. I think that's a very different setup than I've seen orgs run reorgs before, which is execs in a closed room coming up with plans, and then, you know, on Monday, everyone, you're in your new teams.
0: Miles?
3: Yeah, I mean, I, mean, I can absolutely back it up. I mean, I think in the beginning it was pretty scary. I mean, especially I became an EM and then sort of, okay, here's change management straight away. Here's a, here's a big and I think that was... One of the bigger reorgs we did was sort of the beginning of, okay, we need to move towards profitability. Let's do a massive structural change. I think maybe teams merging, layoffs, a lot lot of things. And that was like, okay. But then, yeah, that was the first thing. It's like, hey, when does the information get to me? And then what information from getting it to me? When does that get to everyone else? Because change management is pretty scary. You have to move quick because as soon as things are said, Things get out of the room. Things, mm. things get out, and then you need to be as transparent as possible, as early as possible, with, with what, why, who, how, and yeah. But I do think ACAS does does a good job engaging engaging EMs and PMs in the right conversations, giving space to think, offering multiple alternatives when there is a change to be made, and and, and val- weighing it up because there's always tough choices you have to make. I think, and m- moreover, I think. Uh, yeah transparency i think we do really well like working out we talked about this yesterday working out in the open like it, we're, we're a remote first but let's let's put as many things into slack as many things into MIRO boards as possible or utilizing visual visuals as well because visuals not everyone learns the same not everyone understands things the same but visuals is quite a common language we all have and, and a good way to sort of say i don't understand what that visual is rather than i don't understand what that paragraph you wrote is mm. it's, it's a lot easier to see on a visual so i think Working out in the open, focusing on visuals, these two things, they're both transparent and they're just massive boosters for communication.
0: I have to say this mirror board is very impressive.
3: <laughs> this isn't okay. even our most
1: visual, believe you me. <laughs> Cecilia needs to get her hands on this and create some little cartoon drawings and then that will be our best work.
0: <laughs> no, I think that sounds really good. <laughs> um, and then Cecilia, anything that kind of you, you know, your role that you do to kind of keep people informed and engaged?
2: I, I'm i a very visual person. <laughs> <laughs> I don't, I can do text, um, but I have a creative process when I'm, because I'm, I can do text and I can do long documents and I can detail things out, but no one would read them. And no one would react to them because it's a different thing about changing text in a paragraph. But when I do mirrors and when I do cartoons or kind of just like sketches, I can try to explain what is the intent of what I'm trying to do. And I can describe it in kind of relationships between objects or I can try to draw it out. And then it's so sketchy and you can see that it's not finished. So people can actually kind of drag and drop or do a copy and like, no, I'm picturing it. In a different way, uh, and do it very quickly, and then that whole creative process, uh, you because you don't want to pre-optimize the the detail, the wrong details, because you might kind of throw that whole thing out, and then when you kind of see the bigger scheme of things and the the five big things, and you finish like then you can note it down because I think the devil. Devils is in the details and you need to you need to do that but kind of in the creative process it's too early so what i do is trying to create trying to as quickly as possible visualize something a process or an idea or a direction or a team setup or the principles or anything and i just show to people and ask people to interact with it and then, kind of evolving in that, I can see if it's if it's relevant or not. If it's not relevant, I'll just let it falter and die. And then, uh, and then I can drive it as a process. So a lot about visualization, a lot about interaction, and making people engage with uh, ideas.
3: And at the right time, I think working with developers, you get a lot of you, had, you do have developers who really they they're proud of the solutions, they architect themselves and they want to go the whole way themselves, but if they go the whole way, they haven't taken everyone with them, it's like oh, I don't understand. So it is taking it in sketch stages, sort of like, mm. here's the first, I, I, you can still do that, I created this first version, let's review it together and take it from, forward from there. I think that, yeah. that works so much better for everyone understanding.
1: I think it, that's such a good point you made around the visuals of like the... Perfect is the enemy of good, and often people's and un- the level of understanding that we need enough people to get to is often just a base level of understanding, and if you often other people won't want to explain something to someone else because they think they've not understood it to the 100%. And if they have to put it in writing, they're too afraid. I see this all the time with RPMs and product strategies. Product strategy is just what you do. So you could literally just write what your team is focusing on and what you're planning on to focus on next month. But if you call it a product strategy and you ask them to write it in slides there's a certain nervousness because there's this expectation that what you have to produce is this incredibly high fidelity document. So I actually, the way you've just articulated it, I'm a huge proponent. I wanna get scribbling more <laughs> after this podcast.
0: I think yeah, just following that actually. I've got I've got two things. My first one and I'm not even part of Vegas, My first <laughs> one is I did my um business plan when I presented it at Evolution using Miro and everybody mm-hmm. does it on like Canva and has it all articulated. Like mm-hmm. you said, if you call it a certain name mm-hmm. business plan has to mm-hmm. be a presentation. And I did mine as a Miro of like mm-hmm this is where I started and this is where it could go and mm. it could go here because that just made sense in my brain. I thought, mm. I mean, I'm a big Miro fan, mm. but I like the fact that you guys encourage that and have that as like a natural part of your your identity here rather than it just being a do that and then make it the way that makes it look professional. Um, that's really good. And the mm. second one is, Miles has been on our podcast before, anyone listening, hopefully you'll recognise him. Um. If not, check out the episode. It was really good. But he, from our our initial call, was talking to me about retrospectives and how you do them. And I actually changed our entire team's retrospective to do it on Miro, following your conversation.
3: Excellent. And that ended up
0: being it's gone crazy so now it's like in five parts on this mirror board where we all rank our week based on like how you're feeling and now someone's head goes on a seal by the end of it like it's absolutely crazy Mm -hmm. but I, I think again it's encouraging that creativity and listening to different ideas really like yes. you've, you've empowered our team for,
3: for our retros Good. we at least from two teams ago here at acos we used to just sketch like so and and people would draw shreks and draw whatever <laughs> all over the pages. like the, it, the retros are just covered in sketches by the end and when we're talking and doing the retro but people are sketching in the background it's just yeah,
1: yeah. you're a retro influencer a retch i am i am Probably
3: a am. world world renowned
0: so you're famous in evolution for it
1: across um,
3: continents <laughs>
0: yeah wow Um, And then amazing. And then just to move on to our last question, we've got round to everything pretty well. Um, But can you share advice, best practices for any other organisations listening today who are looking to empower their engineering and product teams effectively? Millie, I'm going to come to you first.
1: So um, this is going to, I mean, I think everyone's bored especially people that listen to a lot of podcasts of like um the fail you know safe to fail conversation but i really do think it is giving ample space to experiment with guardrails so I heard this phrase before and we use it blameless accountability Mm. so you have to feel accountable in the product space Mm. for what you are trying to achieve and if you don't feel any accountability I think that that translates to a lack of urgency I think it translates to a lack of buy-in so I really really strongly believe in accountability at a PM level at a team, team level but not this concept of blame. And I think where you also have management structures, makes sense that you also have accountability of your product area, but you're not ultimately responsible, your manager's responsible. And I think having that that having a, a layer in an organisation where, you know, if, if something goes wrong with your product, you're not going to be thrust into a meeting with a CEO and reprimanded the, you you know you're, you will get some cover from your manager but you have space to experiment but within these guardrails creates the kind of safety I think PMs especially and their whole product teams need to be ambitious and to be bold but without fear that there's you know going to be blame accounted to that because I think it is you know we're all good people that are very competent so without nefarious <laughs> intentions so I think everyone does take the right decisions at that point in time but yeah, So blame-free accountability that comes through space to experiment, but with guardrails.
0: <laughs> Amazing. Brilliant. And then Cecilia, how about yourself? What's your piece of advice? Now,
2: plus one on Millie. And uh, just to kind of put that into a different mind model, but it's the exact same thing. Uh, I have a triangle of trust, why and how, where trust is that blame-free accountability Uh, And where everyone, it's also about trust in the team and trust that you can say things not being laughed at, Um, but you can say silly things, you can come up with stupid ideas and kind of to build upon each other that vulnerability. And when looking, coming into an organization, you can see the lack of trust by seeing like cameras off in hybrid meetings or people avoiding eye contacts or uh, things like that. And then that that's a warning sign uh, that you're lacking trust. That's really needed. And then the, the second um, corner of the triangle is the, the why, the purpose, and uh, that accountability. You need to know where you're going. Uh, you need to understand. You need to be trusted with with a business understanding that someone has explained it to you. Why are you here? The work that you're doing today, how will that ladder up in kind of fourth degree up to the overarching target of the company you need to know that and then the third corner is the how that you need to have smooth processes you need to have automation and kind of technology and every meeting should not kind of be repeating what you said last meeting you should have a prepared agenda you should be accountable for your to-dos and follow-ups and it should feel like you're kind of you're, the time you're investing in meetings is meaningful So kind of summarizing everything what Millie said in Blame-Free Accountability and and kind of having the triangle of trust, why and how, I would say kind of that that would be the first step for for me.
3: I mean, I'm going to say what you're saying in different words, basically, but, (laughs) but I mean, I'm sure a lot of listeners are familiar with psychological safety. I mean, popularized by Amy Edmondson, if you haven't. I mean, she's got tons of books, but The Fearless Organization is a great, great one from 2018, but... Yeah, it talks about psychological safety—the the fear of being punished for making mistakes, or the lack thereof, fear of being punished for making mistakes. And I mean, Google's done massive studies internally, multi-year, with multiple lots of variables. And until they a- applied and read about psychological safety, they saw no relevant results for many things, gender spread. Uh, yeah. Lots of things, just no, no no, statistically significant results, but then psychological safety, that was the thing that really just, okay, well, that's that's key. So, I mean, I think if you don't have that in an organization, you, you can't work from there. So, I think beginning with trust is, is really important. It makes nothing off limits to talk about. No feedback is off limits to give even up the chain to management, to your CEO. You should be able to be non-afraid to talk to that person and say, I think this is important what we're doing. And then I think, yeah, trust within the leadership, I think is really important. I've, I've worked anecdotally, a few companies in Stockholm, so I don't have all the experience in the world, but that's a common thread, especially with tech, like companies who are maybe a sales company with tech attached or and they, they, they're they kind of tech, it's often the head of the tech, the, the director, the CTO, whoever is the head of tech, I've seen it so many times where they're not trusted by the founders, they're not trusted by the other C-levels, they're sort of held on a leash rather than like, you got to put your trust in this person because they have the expertise in this area. And yeah, if you don't have trust in the leadership, how is anyone else going to have trust? It's just going to leak straight down.
0: Amazing. Brilliant. Well, any other kind of last thoughts, follow-ons from any of your last tips?
1: No tips, just actually a reflection of how nice this is to do with colleagues because mm, I think yeah. you don't often sort of reflect on this recorded on a podcast yeah. so I'm like wow yeah we do do that really well
0: <laughs> oh no, this has been absolutely incredible to record I'm gonna go back and I think I'm gonna listen to this like 500 times and implement everything <laughs> into my team so thank you for all the ideas mm-hmm. uh, but no it's incredible to see how ACAST are doing this and how you are empowering your employees and mm-hmm. making sure you know you've got them their progression and their careers in the front front of your mind as well as the company's you know Mm. ideas and profitability so thank you so much for giving the time today to share that with Mm. everybody um if anybody has any follow-on questions who is listening for either Millie Cecilia or Miles please reach out to even myself and I can forward them on or to the guys directly I'm sure you won't mind and yeah hopefully we can kind of help you and get some different ideas sparking as well Mm. so thank you so much for listening and yeah See you next time. Thank you. Thank you. you.